If you have your Bibles, you're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll start in verse 10. We'll read down to verse 11, and then we will unpack it. It says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whosoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to call you Father. Lord, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown on us, mercy that is undeserved, mercy that we could do nothing to merit. Lord, we thank you for mercy and grace. Lord, because without those things, we have nothing. Lord, we thank you for your goodness through this week. Thank you for the ability and the opportunity to come again, Lord, to open your word, to see the truths of your word. Father, without you and your spirit, we cannot understand these things. So we ask that by the help of the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes and our minds and our ears to understand the truths of your word. Lord, let the truths of your word change our lives. Let them guide us and help us grow in sanctification to please you in all that we do. So, Father, help me today. Lead me into truth. Give me the words to speak. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Verse 10 begins with, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, if you remember when we were in Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks in multiple places in the New Testament about the gifts that we have. They are given by God. Not all people have the same gifts, but they are gifts that are given by the will of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we see that in Romans chapter 12 as well, that, that these gifts that are given by God are by His grace that He gives, and each one has a different gift. And these are distributed by the will of God. And each of those gifts we are to use not for selfish gain, for selfish reason, but he tells us it's the common good of building up the church, which is the body of Christ. That's the point. The things that God has given each of us, each person that is a believer in God has a special gift, a talent, something that God has given by His grace to that person. And that is not something that is of ourselves, but it is by grace that He has given this. It's, it's nothing that we've done. It is only by mercy that he's given us these things. And why has he given us these things and these gifts? Not to bring glory to ourselves, not to bring accolades to ourselves, not to be boastful in ourselves, but it's to serve one another. That's the theme that has been driving through this chapter. Serve one another, love each other fervently, be hospitable to each other. We are to take the gifts that we have and to use it for the building up of the church or the body of Christ. And we have, we've covered this before, but being a body is one of these analogies that is used to describe the church. Now, when you look at the body, when we look at the body as a whole, there's one body part that no one has claimed to except for God himself, and that's the head. The Bible says that God is the head. That's what Colossians tells us, I believe, in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, he's the head of the body, which is the church. It's his church. This is not my church. There's no pastor who has his own church. Every church is of God. He's the head. He gives us the instruction. He gives us the parameter on how that we're to act and how we're to govern worship and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And there's never a time where we are to uh, operate outside that instruction. Who are we to do that? It's not my church. It's not anybody's church. It's God's church. And how dare we for one second think that we can operate outside the instruction of God. He's the head. 
And then he says this analogy that all his children, all his believers are the body. They, they, they make up the body, the church of Christ. And we, we looked at how the body has different parts. Some may not seem as big and important. Some may be inside and be hidden. But each one is vital in the complete makeup of the body. We sometimes look at people in church and sometimes we may get envious or jealous because we may look at the gifts that God has given one person and say, well, I wish I had that. I wish that I could do that. You know, when we rise to that level, if we're not careful, what we say is, God, you really didn't know what you were doing when you handed out your gifts. Think about that just for a second. If God has given you a talent, a gift, an ability, and then to look at someone else and say, oh man, I'm not satisfied with mine. I wish I had something else. Let us know that the perfect creator of the world is the one who gave those gifts. He's the one who distributed those gifts. And he makes no mistakes. He's given every person what they need to fulfill their role in the body of Christ, to edify, to build up for His glory. Not for yours, not for mine, but for Him. This is what He's calling us to think about here, is that, that there's not one thing that's small. There's not one son or daughter of His that is insignificant. You know, I think about this, and there's some people that just, they're not out on the front lines, if you will. They're the ones behind the scenes. They're quiet. They're doing the things that God has called them to do. And you really never, you're really out in the open. You never see them a whole lot. But they're praying. They're encouraging. They're doing the things that aren't always open. And when I think about those kind of gifts and positions, I think about the inside of the body. Because think about the vitality of our body. All our organs, except for the skin, is what? On the inside. You can't see them. But without them, there's no function. It doesn't have to be the big glamorous things. But whatever God has gifted you to do, we're to do. Because He's the one who has given this. We, we must know that. He's, he's given each individual church the exact people with the exact gifts that God desires to have to be used for His glory. It's for His glory. It's for His church and His edification. All gifts are to be presented back to God. It's living sacrifices. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says, There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good is the church. It's for building up the church. And here's the thing about it. You may not know what your special ability is. You may not know what your gift is. But here's the thing. You have one. If you're a believer, you have one. And maybe we could get together and start to discuss what that is. Because everyone has something. And whatever you have, we're to be good stewards of it. This is where he goes with it. Because if you were to ask and go across churches across the America today and you were to say, hey, listen, I'm going to say a word and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind and I said, stewardship, what would everybody say? Probably. Financial. Money. I want to be good stewards of our money. That's what the Bible says. And 100% true, we're supposed to be. The Bible teaches that. But stewardship does not just stop at the financial things in life. It does not just stop at money. Listen to what this text says. As each of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That God has given you these gifts by grace. And not only does stewardship apply to the financial aspects of our life, but it also applies to our stewardship of the gifts that God has given us by His grace. He's given them to you by grace, so it is by grace that you're supposed to use them to build up the church. Think about 
what God has given you. Everything that you have in life comes from God. We're to be good stewards of what He's given us. And in this text, he's telling us that the gifts that he has given you is for a purpose, it's for a reason, it's to edify the church, it's to build up the church, and you're to be good stewards. The Greek word used in reference to stewardship is, I'm not going to say this probably correctly, but it's okonomia, which is where the English word economics comes from. This is where we get the word house law. And in the Bible, stewards were not the owners of the house but those who were hired to manage the house of someone else. Think about that just for a second. They didn't own the house, but they were to oversee, they were to manage the house to which they were called to manage. This Bible says we're to manage the manifold grace of God that He has given us by serving those around us. God has given you grace and salvation and also in the gifts to be used for the building of the church. We've received them by grace, so therefore let us show grace. Are you and I using the gifts of grace that God has given us as He sees fit? Are we using them as good stewards, managing those things that have been given to us? But I think it goes a little farther than that. Because not only has He given us these gifts, and the manifold grace that comes along with us. But what else has God given us in life that we're to be stewards of? Well, not only are we supposed to be good stewards of the gifts that He's given them and to use them to to build up one another, but He's also given us the gospel. Hasn't He? In your sheet here at the bottom, it'll say there's some verses on being entrusted. And some of these verses... Speak to to Paul and Timothy as as they've been entrusted with the gospel. Think about that. As a believer, you have heard the truth of the gospel. You have heard the means of salvation. It is on your mind. It is in your heart. It is in your hands. It is on your lips. What are you doing with the gospel that he's entrusted you with? Think about that. Everywhere you go. God has entrusted you with His gospel. He's given it to you. What are we to do with it? To set on it? To keep it to ourselves? To distort it? For our own opinions and our own way of thinking? That's not what we're called to do with it. We're called to declare it. And not just declare it, but declare it in all truth. You know what? Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. You know, there's something different about the book of Galatians and you look at the introductions to all of his epistles. Paul comes out and he's very cordial at the start of his letters, isn't he? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, grace, peace, love be to you. Oh, I miss you. Oh, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. But something happens when he comes to Galatians. He comes out swinging because something's happened. They've perverted the gospel. And he says, listen, if you or me or an angel or anyone else comes and speaks another gospel, let them be damned. Let them be anathemed. You see, the the gospel is not your gospel. The gospel is God's gospel, and he's given it to you. We must be diligent in knowing the gospel, not distorting the gospel, knowing the gospel in its full truth and not leaning into our own opinions of what we want it to be. You know, that's one of the things with the doctrines of Reformed theology, isn't it? It is hard for people to swallow. But the Bible is crystal clear. It is not your gospel. It's His gospel. And we are to be good stewards of what He's given us. Think about that. God has said, here's the gospel. I've saved you with this gospel. Now go be my ambassador. I'm giving it to you. Be good stewards of it. How good a steward have you been with the gospel? How good a steward have you been with the truth of his word? How good a steward have you been with presenting it to people and not being ashamed of it? You see, it's not just financial things that we're to be good stewards of. We're to be good stewards of the gospel. And oh, if you want to know about the power of this gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. It is power. And the God of this universe has given it to us to be good stewards of. Let us be good stewards of it. 
Let us be good stewards of his word. He's given us his word, hasn't he? I mean, is there a greater gift that he's given to us as the church that we can know the mind of God in the, in the, the most thorough sense that we can through his scriptures? I mean, this is his mind. This is what he wants us to know. It is his word. It is immutable. It's true. And he's given it to us for all righteousness to, to be thoroughly furnished. How good a steward have you been with the word he's given you? How many days have you let it set? How many days have you put it to the side? How many days do you not care if you even pick it up? How many days have you opened it with a casual attitude or a a, a mindset of irreverence to his word? We open it up like it's just a book off the shelf. No, no, no. It's the power of God. It is the word of God. It's the power of God. He's magnified in his name above, his word in his name above all things. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not pass away. He's given you this word. How much have you been in it this week? How much have you yearned for the word? How much have we been seeking the things of God? You see, he's entrusted you with the word. Think about that. Doesn't it hit home a little differently when you know the king of the universe has given it to you? Has entrusted it to you? Into me, and how often we've failed as stewards of his word. He's also given us a testimony. If God has rescued you, if you, like sheep, were going astray, but he came to seek you, he picked you up out of spiritual death and brought you to spiritual life, He saved you when you couldn't save yourself. That's a testimony. But the things leading up to that, it's different in everyone's life, isn't it? Your story of who you were before Christ saved you, well, in a sense, we were all all in total depravity. We were all running from God. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. We know that's true, but all the details in our story are a little different. Who we were and now who we are. That's a unique story for every human being. And God has, by His grace, given you that testimony. He's entrusted you with that testimony. Who you are and how you've come to Christ by His mercy in the things you've come out of and in the life you used to live and the life you now live. That's a testimony. And God has entrusted that to you. What are you doing with it? Are you using that? in your apologetics, to stand on the word and to stand and tell the story of the actual manifestation of that in your story. See, if you're a Christian, you've got a testimony. He's entrusted that to you. Are you using that? Paul couldn't contain himself, could he? Paul knew how he was, calls himself the chief of all sinners knew the gospel of Christ, knew the power in his life. And that's why every time he had the chance, he said, listen, I was the chief of all sinners. I used to persecute Christians. I used to kill Christians. This is who I used to be. But look at the power of God that is on my life. He would tell that story. Even they arrested him in the book of Acts. They falsely accused him. They're trying to beat him to death. He's rescued. And the guards bring him, and he's at the top of the stairs. And he says, let me tell my story. That witness, that testimony has been entrusted to each one of us. And if we just put it in our pocket and never let anyone hear of the story of grace in our life, then we're not doing justice and we're not being good stewards of the testimony that he's given. How many times have we failed in this? You know, we start to look at all the the different callings that God has called us to be. If you're a father in here, you're going to be a father one day. You know, he's called you that. He's by his grace allowed you to be a father. And the kids that he's given you, they are no accident. That the kids that you have They've been entrusted to you 
by God. What have you done? Have you been a good steward in your role of a father? That you have led your family by example? That when no one else comes to church, the father's leading by example? When no one else wants to read the Bible, the father comes and says, we're reading the Bible. Leading by example, the Bible says that it, the, the, the father is to, to train up and to grow the children that he has in the knowledge of God. You've been entrusted with your children, fathers. You're to be good stewards of that calling. To stand on the truth of the word. And to know there's nothing more important in the life of your children than to hear the words of God. Oh, I don't know about any of the other fathers. I've failed. Oh, have I failed. You've been entrusted with your children to be good stewards of that role. Let us be leaders. Let us not compromise. And let us be pleasing to God because by His grace, He's given us that gift. Mother, same way. You to be a good steward in the role of a mother. You to do what the Bible has called you to do as a wife. It's not just an accident that your children who they are. They've been entrusted to you by God Almighty. Is your first priority the things of God in their lives? We're to be good stewards of these roles. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, you've been entrusted with your spouse to live out the biblical model, not to do and act like you want, not to look for every little thing that drives you nuts. We talked about this on Thursday, but God, by His mercy and grace, has given you your spouse. You to be a good steward in your role of a husband. And in your role as a wife, has he given you a job? You to be a good steward of the place that he's called you to work. You think you work where you're at right now for an accident? You think that's, you think that's just coincidence that God is up in heaven rolling dice and it just happened to be this is where you're at right now? Absolutely not. The sovereign God of the universe has every molecule under control, right? There's not one that's outside his control. And there's not been one leaf that has ever fallen that's not been falling perfectly at the right time in the right place. Plan A, right? It's running flawlessly, full speed ahead as we speak. It's no accident you work where you work. He's entrusted you with the co-workers around you. He's entrusted you to be a witness and a, and a, a steward of the gospel and the word to those people. Have we been? That we've been a steward in the employment that God has given us. Don't think that you're just here in your place of employment for just, just happen to be here. No, 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 no. You're there because God ordained you to be there, decreed you to be there. And we're to steward what we have in those places. To bring honor and glory to God. The list could go on and on, couldn't it? Time. He's given you time. Are you a good steward of your time? Et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. But think about this. Everything you've been given is by God. We're to steward those things. Because they're not ours. They're not ours. Everything is from God. Without Him, we wouldn't have it. He holds all things together. That job is not yours. And I said this the one time and it got me in trouble, so I'm going to clarify this really. I'm going to be very careful if I say this. Yes, my kids are mine, but they're not mine, if you know what I mean. I said that the first time. I said, my kids aren't even mine. And I realized that didn't go well. I saw my... What? So let me clarify that. Biologically, they're mine. But in the grand scheme of things, 
They're God's. And he's given them to me and he's given them to her. Everything we have is from God. By his grace, we have it. And we're to be good stewards of it. And in this context, he's speaking about the gifts that you have. They're to be stewarded for the glory of God and for the upbuilding of his church. We'll move on, but just stop and think for that for a second. That the sovereign God of this universe has reached down and given you things, has entrusted them to you. How, how mind-blowing is that? Let us strive to always please Him and to be good stewards of what we have. He goes on to verse 11, says, Whoever speaks is to do as the one speaking the utterances of God. There's some that are gifted with the ability to speak in a public setting. And there are some that speak behind the scenes on the streets. They are speaking in building up of the church that way into growing and being a witness for God. But here's what he says. Whatever words come out of your mouth, let them be the utterances of God. Let them be the oracles of God. Let them be the words of God. You'll notice there he doesn't say, let them be your opinion. Here's the deal. If it's not in the Bible, it's your opinion. It's fair. If you say something you believe is doctrinally true, and you have nowhere in the Scripture to go to, you know what you've just done? You've just elevated your opinion to the level of the Word of God. How dare we ever do that? There is not a book in the Bible called First Opinions, although if there was, it would be the biggest, most thoroughly complete, filled book of all the world, because that's what we run on a lot, isn't it? Well, I think, I feel, no, 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 no. I know, because the Word of God says so. I know. Because I can take you to text. I can take you to scripture and verse. When we speak, whether it's here, whatever I say that comes out of my mouth here, it better be the utterances of God. It better be the oracles of God. And when you are out witnessing and in the world, the things that come out of your mouth have to be the word of God. Now, think about what we've learned in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. When they revile you, when they slander you, when they speak evil of you, what are you to do? Not respond as the world, but to turn and follow the example of Christ. As when he suffered, he did not do those things. Do you find the dilemma here? Do you find the dilemma that every time we speak, it should be the utterances and the oracles of God? Isn't that going to be very hard when you are reviling? When you are slandering back? And you are not speaking in the love of God. Isn't that going to be hard to do? That's why he says, hey, how the same mouth, blessing and cursing? How can that be? How can we come here and, and praise our Father and then the next ver in the next breath praise those who are created in His image? How can we do that? You see the dilemma here? In our mouth, it should be the Word of God. It should be the meditation of our lips all day long to, to recite verses, to quote verses, to speak the truth. Here's the problem. You've got to know them. How do you know him? By being a good steward of the word that he's given you. You see, we can't speak the truth of God if we don't know the truth of God. We're called to know the truth of God. You see, this is the word of God. The word of God is the immutable, infallible word of God. It is by this word that faith comes. It's by this word that the found, is the foundation of apologetics. It is by this word that we are to live by. You know, and a true sign of a church is absolutely the love for His word. That's it. It has to be magnified above all things. If the word of God is not the foundation of a church, you don't have much. It is His word that we're to stand on. It is His Word that we're to cherish. 
You know, do you remember when Peter had failed Jesus and denied him? And on the banks of that sea, Peter is reinstated into ministry. And do you remember the whole sequence of events that went down there? Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times. And his answer ought to give us everything we need to know. He said, Peter, if you love me, think about what the great command is. The first command in the New Testament, we say, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. What's the second? That you love your neighbor as yourself. See, there's the vertical, loving God. Here's the horizontal, loving each other. This is what we've been talking about. Peter, do you love me? Here's the vertical. Do you love me first? Then what are you going to do, Peter? You're going to go feed my sheep. If you love me, you go feed them. Where's Peter at in this? What about me? Do you love me, Peter? Then you go feed them. And that's how I'll know you love me. You love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul. And then you go walk the horizontal as he's called you to walk. He doesn't say feed the goats. He says feed the sheep. And what is the diet of the sheep? It's the word of God. This is how the sheep get fed. It is the word that we place our foundation as a church because it is the word of God. He goes on to say, if you serve, serve by the strength which God supplies, he'll give you the strength. Whatever he's called you to do, he will strengthen you. And we're to be zealous in those things. Whatever we do, we're to put our hands to it with all the might that God has given us to do that we can build up the church. And then something amazing happens. We're going to go to the last point here is that Peter breaks out in a doxology. And if you were in Romans at all, you know that this is quite often the case in the New Testament. That they will just begin writing and, and, and they're just, they're, they are, the Spirit of God is on these authors and, and as they come and they're just laying out the, the beautifulness of the Scripture and the power of the Scripture, it's, it's almost like they can't contain themselves and just out of their soul burst praise. We, we see that in a couple different places. Uh, we see that in uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 11. Paul is coming to the end of, of this section of just the weightiness of God and, and the glory of the theology of God. And he's, he's talking about uh, the gifts of God are irrevocable. And then he starts in verse 33 and he says this. When he... Paul looks back at all the depths of what he's covered. That there, that there's the election and the predestination and the, and the mercy of God and the sovereignty of God. And, and, and there's now no condemnation. There's justification. There's sanctification. There's a promise of glorification. All these beautiful truths are coming to the mind of Paul as he's, as he's coming to this section of Scripture. And look what happens in verse 33. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches. You see, can you feel that in Paul? When I think about the truth of God, when I think about all that I've just discussed, when I think about the mercy of God, my soul can't even contain it. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Paul can't contain it. Oh, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And here it comes to the most comprehensive verse in all the Bible. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. What's our response to that? Amen. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's a doxology. I believe you also see a doxology in Romans chapter 8. 
where he is beginning, he's just worked through the golden chain and the beauty of what God has promised in the golden chain. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. And what is Paul's response? What shall we say to these things? Who can even put our minds to that? If God is for us, who will be against us? Who is going to separate us from the love? It's the doxology, the praise of God that flows from what? The knowledge of God. How many times have you heard that here? That theology equals doxology. When you have a low theology of God, your praise will be very small because you don't know who God is. But when you begin to be good stewards of the, of the Word of God and grow in knowledge, and you begin to see Him higher and higher for who He is, then you will have higher theology, or your higher theology will produce higher praise. As a Christian, you cannot know who God is more and more and more and praise Him less, less, and less. It's just impossible. This is what's happening. We see this in other places. The ending of Jude says that, that God is able to keep us from without stumbling to be blameless on that day. Oh, the glory to God. To God be the glory forever and ever. This is what's happening here. That now Peter has switched to this doxology. And he says, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Really quickly. In the Hebrew word, or the Hebrew word we get the word glory is kavod. And this is a different meaning than what we may think when it comes to glory. This speaks of the heaviness or the weightiness of his being. We're to feel the weight of his glory, the weight of his power, the weight of his holiness. That's what that means. It's not a light matter. The power of God, the presence of God, the holiness of God, the being of God, it's not a light matter. There's weightiness to it. And this word carried over in the Greek is where we get doxa, which is where we derive the word glory. So when we speak of the doxology, it is where we give glory to God. We've said it before, but I never want to pass a time up to remind us of the two types of glory. The first type of glory is the intrinsic glory of God. This is unchanging. This is who God is. You can't add to this. You can't take away from this. This is the divine being of God. This is who He is in all of His radiance, in all His glory. Of all of His attributes that come together, what makes God God is what is composed in His intrinsic glory. It's His unchanging glory. It's His unchanging nature. It's the holy being of God. It's the sum of all the greatness of His attributes. He's God, and He has intrinsic glory, and that never changes. However, the ascribed glory is where you and I come into play, because the ascribed glory is the glory or the praise that we give back to Him. Has this ever been unchanging in your life? Or does your praise for God change from day to day? I'm having a bad day. So my ascribed glory to God is going to be low. Oh, but when everything is working out perfect, the ascribed glory I give to Him will be high. Let me ask you a question. Does this ever change? Does the intrinsic glory of God ever change? then the ascribed glory that we're, that's due His name never changes either. Never changes. There's not a day of your life where the glory that He deserves should ever rise up and down because He doesn't change, His intrinsic glory doesn't change, and our glory for Him is a result of who He is and His intrinsic glory. Stop and think about that. The next time you're having a day and you're like, I can't praise God. There's, no, there's nothing in me that wants to do that. Ask yourself, is his intrinsic glory changing today? Your answer will be no. And then you say, then he deserves my praise. 
the same today because I'm praising Him. Not my circumstances. Not how I feel. And if His intrinsic glory never changes, then every second of every day, no matter what is coming against us, He deserves all glory do His name. Before we move on, I just want to show you this. This never changes. But this does. And if you want the ascribed glory that you give God to change, do you know how you do that? You learn more about this. You learn more about His intrinsic glory. And when you learn about more of who He is, that will change as well, but it'll change for the good, and it'll be more consistent. The higher that we see God's intrinsic glory, the more we ascribe glory to Him and the glory to His name, and He's to be glorified in all aspects of our lives. I mean, think about this as we get ready to close. Why wouldn't He deserve our glory? Have you ever stopped and thought about God? Have you ever thought about that He's an omnipotent God? He's got all power. There's nothing that is more powerful than God. Let us stop and think about that for five seconds. That we serve a God who has all power. Against all enemies, against everything, against every uh, power in this universe that is, he's created all things. He's got all power. You say, can God really do this? Is God really powerful enough? He is all power. Do you know any other person or being that's all power? No, you mean he's unique. Have you ever thought about that God is omnipresent? And it's not like he's spread out so thin where just a little piece of him is here and, and a little piece of him is over and across the pond. No. That every aspect of his universe, the fullness of his being, is in full power and presence there. He's always there. You say, well, am I alone? Is he le-? No, he's everywhere. And if you're a believer, he's never left you and he'll never forsake you. That he's all-knowing. There's never been a time where God had to learn something. There's never going to be a time where he forgets something. You're never going to come to him in prayer and be like, hey, when I tell you something you didn't know, he knows it all. He's not going to lose his power. He's not going to lose his knowledge. He's omnipresent. Have you ever thought about the sovereignty of God? Psalm 103 tells us that he has placed his throne in the heavens. And the sovereignty of God rules over all. That's every believer can lay their head on their pillow tonight, no matter what has happened in their life, knowing that the sovereignty of God rules, rules over all. He's ordained all things to come to pass. He's immutable. He's the only thing that's not changing. Although we see this a lot of times, don't we? In the modern church, we say, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. Okay, that's false. He's the same God. He's immutable. Have you ever changed? Yeah, your looks have changed. Your opinions have changed. Or what your knowledge has changed. Your job has changed. Everything's changed. The world changes. Society changes. The norms change. But God never changes. He's the only secure thing that we can have that we know that's unchanging. He's immutable. You ever thought about that? You know anybody else that's unchanging? No. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has full aseity? You want to talk about tripping a mind up. You've been asked this question before. Where did God come from? Who created God? You know the answer to that? He is. Simple answer. He is. What do you mean he is? He is. He is the uncreated creator. John 5 says that he has life in himself. 
No one created God. He is. Is there anything that blows your finite mind more than there never was a time where God was not? We look around and the dumbest thing that could be spoken in schools today is that out of nothing came everything. They've actually changed their opinion now, and now they're saying, well, it's not just a spontaneous out of nothing comes everything. That's silly. (laughs) Yes, and so is their new view that it's a progressiveness that out of nothing comes everything. Do you know how stupid that is? Do you know what comes out of nothing? Nothing. The most profound, quote-unquote, minds in science tell us that out of nothing come everything. If there ever was a time where there was nothing, do you know what would be here today? Nothing. And I'm going to do this in honor of Coop because he loves this word, this saying, ex nihilo nihil fit, which means out of nothing comes nothing. Do you know how that you can tell the most skeptic person that God is God? And that there was an intelligent design. You know how you could do that? You take them outside and you say, you see that tree? Well, yeah, I see that tree. Do you see me? Uh, Yeah, I see you. If there ever was a time where there was nothing, that tree wouldn't be here. And if there ever was a time where there was nothing, I wouldn't be here. Because out of nothing comes nothing. But the fact that there is something tells us that there was a time, there's never been a time where there was not something. And in the beginning, God. He created all things. He holds all things together. Without Him, we can't move and live or exist. Is there anything that blows our finite mind the creaturely mind that we have that God is not created but has life in himself. He tells, Ab- he tells Moses, I am. He is the ultimate being. He's unlike any other thing, any other being. That's why he deserves glory. That's why he deserves honor. That's why he has dominion over all things. And if you want to know the the attribute that pulls it all together, the attribute that brings all these attributes into one, is the holiness of God. That's what makes God God. Because holy means other than. Is there anything, is there any being, is there anyone like God? No. How can he be immutable? Because he's holy and there's no one like him. How can he be omnipresent and omnipotent? He's holy. There's no one like him. He's other than. How can he be sovereign over all the universe? He's holy. And how can he be the uncreated creator with life in himself? Because he's holy. That's why around the throne of God, you've heard me say this before, they do not in their voices of praise, say, God is love, love, love. And they do not say God is mercy, mercy, mercy. But what do they say? God is holy, holy, holy. This is why Peter can't contain himself. He starts to know who God is. That he's holy. There's no one else who could even for a moment deserve this praise. Once he knew the intrinsic glory of God, the ascribed glory wells up in his soul. And he begins to praise this holy God, which is the call of you and me today. And this holy God, by his grace and his mercy, has given you things and people and occupations and gifts and talents. And he's entrusted them to you. And he's called us to be good stewards of those things. Because I don't know any other way to end this sermon than quoting Romans eleven thirty six 36 again. Oh, 
all the gifts, all the talents, all the things that God has entrusted you with, plus all the intrinsic glory of God, and we grow in our knowledge of that, our glory towards Him will increase. Everything wrapped up into one verse. I think we could repeat it and say this. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for the truth. Father, let us repent of all the times in our lives that we have not been good stewards of the things You've given us. Lord, you've entrusted us with so much. And Lord, we pray that we would never again fail in being a steward of those things. Lord, let our minds know that it is the sovereign, holy God of this universe who has given us these things. And to let us live our lives as a result of that. Lord, how unworthy are we that you would give us these things and entrust us with these things. Lord, who are we? Lord, we don't deserve anything. And that's why your word says that these things have been given by grace. Manifold gifts of grace. God, help us. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be good stewards. And Father, let us today stop and just think about your intrinsic glory. Who you truly are. And then let us understand who we truly are. And Father, we pray for a desire to grow in your word. Because as we grow in your word and we see who you truly are, then our praise will increase. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Please help us to not just to hear these words, but to act upon them that we may grow in sanctification. Lord, we give you glory, and we praise you forever and ever. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.